Good morning, everyone. Man, I'm excited about what God is going to do this morning. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's going to do something. Oh, come on. Say, are you ready? I believe God's going to do something this morning. I believe that God's going to speak this morning. I have come with such excitement and anticipation. I look forward to Sunday every week. Some people dread it because they know Monday's right around the corner. They're like, it's just the, it's like the sad death march to, the, to Monday. But Sunday is a great day to be in God's house. I'm excited to dive into the Word. You may notice that our platform looks a little more Spartan than it normally does. It's, uh, it's very plain. We are in the middle of a major overhaul. We barely got it, literally got it pieced back together this weekend before service so, so that it was still functional. But we are in the middle of something really exciting going on. For those that didn't make uh, last week's Vision Sunday, uh, l- yes, last Sunday evening, you missed out. Because it was awesome. It's exciting to hear uh, the visions that God has put in our leadership's heart and where we believe that he's leading our church in the, in the weeks to come, in the months to come. Um, I am coming with just an excitement for what lies ahead. So um, it's, it's exciting to know uh, what, what God is preparing and what we don't even know about, what we can't come up with ourselves but believe that he has. Hey, Aaron, my mic is a little bit hot to where it's humming a little bit, so you can bring it down just a tiny bit. Oh, thank you, man. You're doing an awesome job. So today, we're continuing our series, uh, The Road to Easter, talking about the final week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion and eventual resurrection. Um, and so Jesus is on this road heading to the finish line, and he sees it ahead of himself. And uh, I, I like those, those paintings, I say that with quotation, like those paintings of gentle Jesus, where he's got the flowing strawberry blonde locks. And he's in, the, he's in the field with a little sheep, and he's, wearing, he's got his blue sash on. You know, historical Jesus. And uh, he's, he's in the field, and he's gentle, and he's holding this little baby sheep. And, and, and you just, you're like, oh, he's so gentle. But you see a side of Jesus in this final week that's really raw. A lot of emotion that's poured out here. And it, he does not sin, but we see Jesus in, in an incredible light that, uh, that, that is strikingly different than some of these images we, we see portrayed of Jesus. We see a more acute emotional expression of Jesus uh, that, that you see, than you see in other areas. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying he's reckless or he's out of control, but he's being purposeful and deliberate. And yet he has emotion, visceral emotion behind his actions. And, uh, and, and I appreciate that because we see the humanity of Jesus in this. We see that, that he's not just some stoic, apathetic deity. That he, he feels, he's sentient like we do. He feels the pain we feel. He feels the fear looking ahead to what wait, was waiting for him on the cross. He was experiencing all these things. And so in this last week, we see these emotions coming through where he curses the fig tree. Yes, it was, it was, it was a, a powerful, a powerfully emotional moment for him, but it was not just an emotional outburst. There was purpose behind it. And today we're going to read a story of another moment of, of real feeling and emotion behind Jesus. But again, it's measured. It's deliberate. It's purposeful. This is why... No, I'm not going to go there. I was... Never mind. (laughs) Uh, Ask me after service what I was going to mention if you want to ask me. So, it's a separate can of worms that we don't need to get into. All right. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 11. Now the rest of the message, you guys are going to be like, what was he going to say? And no one's going to even... Well, you'll just have to hold on to that and just consider it. Mark chapter 11. If you're there with me, you can open your phones, your Bibles. We're going to be starting in verse 15. So this actually picks up from where Jesus cursed the fig tree we talked about a couple weeks ago. And it says that when they arrived back in Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his disciples. Remember, every night they would go to Bethany, right? And stay the night at a friend's house. And then each day they would hike about two miles over the hill, over the uh, Mount of Olives, 
through through the the valley and back into Jerusalem to the to the temple. And so they arrived back in Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple, and he began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from use, um, from from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, "The scriptures declare." My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Have you guys ever been at a place where a public scene unfolds and you're like, I don't really know what to do here? Have you ever seen someone just go beyond the social norm and suddenly there's like an outburst and this, it's really uncomfortable. No one knows exactly what to do. That's kind of how I envision what happens here. Suddenly Jesus just grabs a table and hurls it across the room and kicks over a chair and he starts, starts yelling and, and there's just this, this scene that unfolds in the temple. And, uh, and we see this hubbub begin and, and then Jesus in this whole thing, he does all this and all that's quoted here is a one sentence excerpt that Jesus said. But there's so much content and so much context to what's going on here that we need to understand. So let's pause for just a minute and set up our context because context is key. You could almost say context is king because we live 2000 years since that event, literally on the opposite side of the planet. I traveled to Florida with my family a couple weeks ago, and can I tell you, culturally, there's a whole lot different, and that's only 3,000 miles away. There's some big cultural differences. Now, separate that by that amount of time and that amount of culture. There's a lot of understanding we need to unpack here. What's going on? Is Jesus walking into a church and just starts flipping over the, the Girl Scout cookies that they're selling? And like, you know, you can do this! What's happening in this story? And so we're going to unpack this a little bit. And so... Um, when we see pictures of the temple, when we see pictures of what's called the second temple, it's an amazing looking thing. And uh, this is a picture of it here. We see, some of us have seen these pictures, maybe in your Bible. You've got a Bible with uh, some pictures in it and things like that. It's an amazing picture. But this picture that we're actually looking right at right here is not the temple itself. This is actually the temple mount. And it's impressive. But the actual temp- temple proper is much smaller. If you look there in the middle at that tall structure right there, that is the actual temple. The actual temple is much smaller. Um, com- uh, you see, what happened was King Herod was king of the region, and he wanted to build something that would really bring him some huzzah. He wanted, he wanted people to notice him. He wanted people to, to see what a powerful person what he was. So over about a 40 year period, he started building this temple mount and it was massive. If you were to look up from the base of the temple mount and look up, some of those areas could be over 20 stories tall. It was huge. And each wall averaged over 1200 feet long, three to four city blocks long. And that creates a space inside there of that courtyard. That space is about 37 acres. It's, a, it's the size of about 15 football fields there inside this space. You think about the, the building project this was with no bulldozers, nothing like that, just hands and manual labor. And, and this was constructed over this, this time period. And, uh, and this space here could hold, at any given time, about 75,000 people. You think about the size of Otson Stadium and, and, and just how many people could fit in this space. 
And so they, they fit people into this, and, and different portions of this were, were meaningful. If you look in the upper right corner there, at the north end of, of the Temple Mount, this was the fortress of Antonia, which was actually a Roman barracks. So the Roman soldiers had an entire garrison here, and it opened directly out into this Temple Mount area because it was not uncommon for riots to start. There would be religious zealots and, and uprisings that would happen, and so they just literally said, let's just build an army base right here, we can take care of all the things that happen. And so they built this right into the temple. And so there was always something happening at the temple that was, that was occurring. And, and this massive structure was there. And then within it, there's a series of courtyards. It's not just all like one, you kind of walk around and mill around place. But there's a series of courtyards that were built into it. And the largest outside courtyard was called the Court of the Gentiles. You can see here, it's this area in green. So when you walk up these terraces and these stairways, you come up into the Court of the Gentiles. Now, this was an area that was open to all Jews... And it was open to all God-fearing Gentiles, non-Jews. Um, the blind and the lame could come into this area and they could beg. Um, children could be in this area. So this was a fairly open area for these people to come and to be a part of what was going on. And uh, this is also the area where the merchants and the money changers would be. This is the area where they would come and this is actually where Jesus made his very public demonstration, flipping over the tables and the chairs and stopping people from buying and selling. And then he uses a phrase, he says, this has become a den of thieves. So what was going on? So here's what would happen. This temple and temple mount area was a central point where all of the the worshipers of Jehovah would come to worship, especially on Passover. It was a main center area of all these occurrences. And so Jesus was there while this was going on. And as people would come towards the, throughout, throughout the year, the, there would be money changers and there would be people that could provide uh, sacrifices. But as they got closer to Passover, they would all draw closer to the temple and they would actually come into the temple mount to sell you uh, the things that you would need in order to, uh, to sacrifice and to worship. And they were res- um, when you came to the temple, you were required to do something called paying a temple tax. But because... People were coming from such a large area across the Roman Empire and even into the east. It represented a huge amount of different currencies. You had Roman currencies. You may have had um, coinage from from the far east. You may have had coinage from down in Ethiopia. You could have had all these different uh, coinages. And so they said, we need to standardize this to a single currency that people can pay their temple tax. And so when you came, I don't know if you've ever traveled internationally, but you come into an airport and there's a money changing area where you can exchange your money for the local, the local money. And, uh, and, and, and they try to take a little off the top, right? They're like, this is the charge for that exchange. Well, in the same way, they were charging people for the exchange of taking their money and getting temple money. But they were charging people exorbitant rates to get temple money so they could pay their tax. And this temple tax was for upkeep of the temple. There was nothing wrong with necessarily giving to the temple. But it was actually this standardized money. Um, they, they would come to this place called the Royal Stoa in this area. And they would convert the coinage to this temple drachma, it was called. And they would upcharge this significant amount of money. And once you finally got the right amount of money to pay your tax, then it was time to get your sacrificial animal. Because if you were traveling from a long ways, first of all, it's really hard to bring like a sheep or a, a cow with you the whole way. Much more convenient, much easier to buy it once you're there, right? And so many of the people that traveled to the temple for sacrifice would just find it that was easier. But on top of it, even if you were close by or willing to bring your own animal, they had a system there where they say, is this animal certified for sacrifice? Has this animal been, been selected and, and, and approved by the priest for actual sacrifice? 
And so it didn't matter what animal you brought, if it was the best from your flocks and herd, if it was, you know, all the things that God required, they had their prescribed animals they wanted to sell you. And so they would sell them, guess what, at massive markup. They would charge you an exorbitant amount just to be able to sacrifice this animal. So even if you brought your own animal, all these things, they're exploiting the worshipers. And only after allowing these qualified animals that met their standards at this markup, would they let you sacrifice. It was like taking your family to Disneyland. You have to pay a massive amount just to get in. And then once you're in, they're like, you got to buy our stuff. You want to buy that sandwich? 30 bucks. They, they, had the, they had the system. They knew they had you. And, and so they were charging multiple times the actual value. And, and, and so this was even more, though, than just an expensive vacation. This was actually creating barriers for people in their worship of God. This was creating barriers because people couldn't come in and worship God unless they came through their channels. And it was creating these things that were keeping people from being able to do this. And Jesus' anger burned because he saw people being held back by even the church's own bureaucracy because they were building up these walls to keep people from God. The very ones that should have been building bridges to make it easier for worship were actually adding hoops that people had to jump through. And they were doing it for their own benefit. Church, let me tell you that our job should be to tear down and remove barriers between people and God, not to build them. Our calling as a church, our calling as people is not to build barriers between people experiencing God, people finding uh, finding God and encountering God, than to build these extra hoops for them to jump through. If you recall, when Abel brought his sacrifice to the Lord, I talked about this last week, he he brought his the best of his offering. And can I tell you that that was not approved by any temple associate, approved by anybody in the religious order. It was simply, he brought what was his best. And it's not... Your job, and it's not my job, to measure what somebody else brings before God. To write up the standard that they must reach to receive God's grace. Our job is simply to bring people to Him. Our job is simply to bring people to Him. The problem is, the problem I think we run into is it's really comforting to be the one that's holding the measuring stick. I like that job because I can adjust it to however I need it. It's nice and comfortable to be able to say, I'm holding this. It ensures the security of where I stand when I'm the one setting the bar, saying, you fit within my context of what's worthy of God. And it creates a false confidence. It's when you look like this. It's when you talk like this. It's when you smell like this. It's when you act like this that you can have access to God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that God forbid that we should ever reduce this glorious gospel of liberty into a mere number of prohibitions and restraints. And so often we make our rules and our hoops that people need to jump, jump through to encounter God. Paul understood what our job was. He wrote to Timothy and he said to him, he said, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul said, look at my life. Look at what God did with my life. This is the perfect example for everyone else to see. That if God can forgive me, how much more you? Then the others will realize that they too can believe in him. 
You see, it's so much easier to build a bridge when we realize that I come from as far on the other side of the chasm as you do. We've all been separated by God from, by so much. And there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to fix that. I couldn't save myself. But God had mercy on me and he has mercy for you too. See, as Christians, we need to stop putting so much energy into drawing lines that keep people out. And start crossing lines to bring people in. The religious leaders thought they had it all figured out. We'll set up these standards, these things that people need to do to approach God on the right terms. But we need to cross lines and say, just come to Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for me. Let me show you what he did for me. And Jesus has sees this happening and, and, it, and it angers him and he see, sees this and he says, in my father's house, it's to be called a house of prayer. He says, this house was supposed to be called a house of prayer. And the core purpose, Jesus saw, had been lost. The core purpose of the temple had been lost. You see, it had actually become, it's really interesting. I got this, I pulled out from my library a stack of scholarly books. It was so fun reading through them about the temple. I, I got way too deep. I probably over, overread a little bit. Have you ever over-researched and you're like, now I don't know what to do with all this? But the temple started being used by the wealthy elites as actually kind of a banking system. Because they knew it was a secure place. There was the temple treasury. And so they said, hey, how about I just keep all my money here where it's safe? There's already a temple guard that's here. It's all set up for me. So it became a place of commerce. They kept their money there. They traded. And it became something that was just a convenience for them. And rather than being the holy place of God, it became something that was something more than it should have been. The core purpose had been lost. The focus had been lost and had become just this economic center to become its own machine. And sometimes, let me tell you, the temple is not just cluttered with animals and money changers, but instead sometimes it's cluttered with us coming to worship and our hearts are actually far from God. We come into the temple and all the other things that we're thinking about have filled our hearts and minds and our thoughts. We come and we sit in our chair on Sunday and we just allow our minds to become busy with all the things that are going on in our world. All the to-do lists before Monday, the things that need to happen right away Monday, the emails that need to go out, the calls that need to be made, the things that need to be done. We come and we sing our songs, but our tunes then are tarnished by pride and jealousy that we've been carrying with us. We give our tithes and offerings, and we, uh, uh, but we allow our spirits to engage in thought patterns that are destructive. We even harbor feelings of resentment and hate. And in the same way, the temple had become this place that was really a suitable alternative. If we allow hypocrisy to exist in the temple, it'll take over. If we allow this hypocrisy to live long enough in our own lives, it will soon destroy our ability to pray and destroy our ability to pursue God. And so these extra things start to build up and Jesus clears it out. He sees what's going on. He says, this can't happen anymore. Don't you realize the purity of what this was here for? It's to be a house of prayer, to be a place where we have relationship and communication with God. It's become so much more and it's become so much extra. So Jesus clears out the business being done. And then he says to the people there, he says... The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer. But this is the part we often overlook. Of all nations. Of all nations. This was a loaded declaration though. I don't think we realize that in our context, but to hear what Jesus said was loaded. Because we just talked about that there was this outer court that was the court of the Gentiles, right? 
That was the area where pretty much the general population was allowed. But as you move inward, there was an actual balustrade fence that went along inside the temple. A wall that was there that had signage on it and it had inscriptions warning that any non-Jew that proceeded beyond that wall would be killed. You can go to the next slide there for me, Priscilla. So there's a wall. You can see it's very thin. It's hard to see, but right around the the, the temple wall there. And it said, anyone who's a non-Jew passing beyond this point will be killed. And that next space inside there, that green space, was called the court of women. And only Jewish men and Jewish women could enter this court. And within this court, it had... Oh, you can go back one for me. This yellow area. This yellow area. So this court was, was an area where uh, they had the... Uh, uh, they had the... Uh, the chests for the tithes and different things like that. But beyond that, in the next court, was the court of Israel. And only ritually clean Jewish men were permitted to proceed into this court. You can go to the next one, this blue area there. And then beyond that, only priests could go into the next courtyard that was called the priest's courtyard. And only beyond that, the ceremonially clean priests could go into the temple itself, where the Holy of Holies sat that represented the presence of God on earth. And only one man, on one day of the year, could enter into the Holy of Holies and actually stand before God and make an offering. So when Jesus says, my house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations, this is interesting because he's not talking about the temple mount that Herod built. His little ode to himself. He says, my house being the temple is to be a house of prayer for the Jewish people, to be a house of prayer for the Jewish men, To be a house of prayer for just the Jewish men who are priests? No, he said, for who? All nations. This would have been blasphemous. Who are you saying has access to the actual temple where people should be executed for just stepping past this first fence? He's saying this is for all people, but Jesus sees beyond all these restrictions. He says the checkpoints and regulations on who can have access need to be torn down and how close people have access to his presence should be removed because it's being metered out by this religious power. He says, in my house, under my order, there is no in crowd and there is no out crowd. Full access for everyone to the very presence of God. Full access for everyone to the very presence of God. And kid, if you'll join me on the stage. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, Paul is echoing this sentiment of Jesus. He says, for there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What does that mean in plain English for us? It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what school you went to, what degree is on your wall, what grade you completed, what your bank register reads, what your Ancestry.com report says, what your criminal record states, who you know, who you don't know. It doesn't matter because we all have direct, direct access to the very presence of God through Jesus, his son. We all don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. It's nothing that could be paid of our own, but our own ability, but was freely given by the mercy of Jesus. We all stand in the same exact place. We stand in the need of mercy. And through Jesus, we have forgiveness. Through Jesus, we have access. And when Jesus died, the Bible says that the curtain in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom. That curtain was a heavy curtain. It was inches thick. And it's supposed to separate the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple and the rest of all that's going on. And when that happened, it represented that suddenly the access to God himself was opened up so that we could all have access to know him personally. 
That, that barrier, that, that veil that was kept between us was no longer present. And, and just as one man at one time of year could enter and only have that access, when Jesus died, this was made available to every one of us. Every man, every woman, every child. No more barriers. No, no second class Christians. I think many of us feel like we're on some sort of scale on how God can use us and what kind of Christian we are. Based on who our parent was, based on when we came to know Christ, based with our struggles. The person we feel is looking back at us in the mirror. Can I tell you, there are no second class Christians. We all stand the same, justified before God. We all stand the same, justified before God, and He wants to use you. He wants to know you. And when Jesus brought this full access to us, we actually became living temples ourselves of the Holy Spirit. The temple no longer was this this representative place that somehow was supposed to contain the presence of God. But we ourselves became temples of the Holy Spirit and He lives within us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says... um, in, yeah, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my son's And daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You are sons and daughters of the Almighty. Is that a wild thought? Children of God. Sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. Men, let me hear you say, I am a son of God. Say it. Say it again. I am a son of God. Ladies, let me hear you say, I am a daughter of God. I am a daughter of God. Say it again. I am a daughter of God. Galatians 3.26 For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not through our own goodness. <laughs> It's not through what we accomplish for God. It's not through all the different gates we go through. It's not through the things that we can pay. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we become children of God. What an amazing promise. And we can know Him. And that relationship can be opened. Where we feel there's so many barriers keeping us from God, it's suddenly opened up. But it starts with us giving our hearts to Him. Saying, Jesus, I want you to be my King. I want you to be my King. So this morning... I want to give you this free access. I'm not the one guarding the gate. It is between you and God. I want to be someone who says, I can open the door to show you the way to God, not the one that builds the barrier. And this morning, he wants to meet you. He wants to know you. For a lot in this room, though, the thought of knowing God has seemed maybe impossible. Could I really know God. Or maybe it seems scary.
And let me tell you, there's perfect peace in knowing God. There's perfect love in knowing God. See, what the laws do, what all the rules do, they build up on us. The Bible says that that the law condemns us and we feel the weight of our sin. We feel the weight of our failure. We feel the weight of all these things where death would want to hold us down. But today I want to tell you something. That Jesus came to set us free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. And we have this promise to hold on to. And so knowing God is not something that is to be feared. It's not something that's impossible. But we can truly have relationship with Him. And it's done in this way. The Bible says that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we believe that in our heart. That God raised Him from the dead. We will find salvation and we will know Him. And so this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you have been feeling like you're far off from God. Maybe you feel like there's a religious precedent that's been there. And you feel like I just am not reaching the the necessary levels that are okay for me to approach God. Can I tell you that they are not there. That it has been removed and Jesus has given you full access through his blood. And so today, if you feel like you've been standing far away from God and you want to come to the Father today and give him your heart with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to raise your hand and raise it high. I want to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, church, pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus... Thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming for me. I was lost. I was lost in my own sin and my own failure and all the rules around me. And I couldn't earn my own salvation. But you came for me. I believe you died for me. And you rose again so that I could know God. So today I make you my king. I make you my Lord. I will follow you from this day forward. In your name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to talk with you more about what it means to know the king, to follow him, to connect you with resources and what it means to now follow Jesus as your savior. I'd love to have that conversation with you in a moment. We're going to do our connection cards together. Just note on your connection card, there's a little checkbox that says, I've given my heart to Jesus. We want to help you along that road. We will not become a bother or a burden to you, but we want to help you with understanding what that means. It's a wonderful thing that we have people now that are children of God, and I'm so excited that I got to introduce you to the King. I'm giving thanks for that. So this morning... Let's do our connection cards together. So if you will, in your seat backs in front of you, there are connection cards. There's paper ones. But also we love it if you do the digital connection cards. And so on the, on the screen, we've got a QR code or you can go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. And uh, if you'll go to that website, you'll see our connection card. Let us know if this is your first time. If this is your first time with us, like Hosanna said, we are so glad that you're here. Let us know. We want to connect with you. Say thank you for being with us. And uh, we'll, we'll give you a nice gift as, um, as a way of saying thank you. At our Welcome Center, we've got a coffee gift card. We'll also make a donation on your behalf to an organization called Feed One that goes into some of the neediest parts of the world and it brings the hope of Jesus. Um, and it also meets felt needs. It gives food, clean water, and an education to children. So for a week on your behalf, we'll sponsor a child as just a way of saying thank you for letting us know it's your first time here with us. But let us know.
if you've given your heart to Jesus today. And we have some exciting things we want to let you know about that are coming up on our calendar. Um, so next week is Palm Sunday. Uh, that's the week countdown to Easter. And uh, I'm excited. How many of you noticed that we don't have a huge amount of palm trees here in Oregon? It's, it's a staggeringly short supply. So instead of palm trees, I also think that uh, having like uh, fir branches would be a little bit sticky and sappy. So we're not going to do that either. So what we're, we're saying is everybody wear your best Aloha shirt next Sunday, okay? Go find one at a thrift store if you don't have one. We are going to wear our Aloha shirts to celebrate Palm Sunday. And uh, we can wave our shirts around. I don't know, do something like this. Uh, um, but, uh, but then on top of it, um, Pastor Charity has gone and she got us a Hawaiian shave ice truck that's going to be here next Sunday. And we're going to be giving away free shave ice. You can go get your shave ice and just celebrate uh, uh, Palm Sunday with us in a really special way. It's a great opportunity to invite friends, family, neighbors to come and celebrate Palm Sunday with us. So that's next Sunday. Other things that are happening we want you to be aware of. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, ladies. This coming Saturday is uh, the potluck brunch at 10 a.m. So we want to make sure you're there. Blake is going to be sharing. It's going to be a powerful time. Um, we also have Becca Davis that's going to be sharing uh, about what's going to be happening in India and how women, you can be involved with what's going on there. So make sure you're there this Saturday, 10 a.m. It's going to be a great time. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We mentioned that. And then the following Sunday is Easter Sunday. And we... Praise God. We are going big, too, on Easter Sunday. He is risen, and uh, there's no better day to celebrate, so it's going to be a huge Sunday. We are going all out. We are bringing in a worship band that's going to lead us in worship. Um, we have got um, great activities for kids and things, and you know we're going to have a petting zoo. I heard there's rumor that there's even going to be a kangaroo um, and, uh, and, and turtles and things like that, some different animals. It's going to be a ton of fun for kids. But let me tell you, those are great tools for outreach, but the reason we celebrate is that He is risen. And he is risen indeed, and he gives us life. And so it's going to be a wonderful Sunday to celebrate and we worship, as we worship together. Also, seniors want to let you know, wildlife safari trip at the end of April. Make sure you get signed up for that. We now have sign up at the Welcome Center. Go to the Welcome Center, get your name on the list, sign up for that. It's going to be a great time. And finally, life groups. Make sure you sign up for spring life groups. They're going to be kicking off in just a week or so. So you can do that online at nlcchurch.com slash groups. Or we've got a table out there to get signed up, all right? So this, this morning... Let me encourage you, church. Let's stand together. Let me encourage you as we get ready to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Let's be bridge builders this week. Let's not bring our religi religiosity, we can be really good at that, into, into, our, into our world where we have this, this precedent that's set that I could never know Christ. They're, they're just setting up this, this, this uh, level of expectation that, that I need to be before I can even know Jesus. But let's say, as Paul said... Look at what he did with me. I was the least of these. I was the greatest sinner of all. But look what Christ has done in my life. And I would like you to know him. Let's be bridge builders. Let's cross lines and engage with our community. Let's engage with our world as we bring the hope of Jesus. So this morning, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. Let's give with joy this morning. Let's give with thankfulness. We had a wonderful annual report this, this year. What an in incredible... <laughs> Incredible. It's a great annual meeting when we get to have annual meetings like that. We've seen the hand of God do incredible things and at work in our church and our community. Let's believe it for greater things. Greater things are, have yet to come. Greater things are yet to come in this city, in this church, and what God has in store. So thank you for your giving and your faithfulness. You can give online at our website. You can give in the uh, envelopes in the seat back in front of you. But let's give with joy as we start this new month. Father, we thank you for 
all these things that we have to celebrate. We thank you for this Easter season that lies ahead and what's in store. I pray, Father, that you would do marvelous things, that you would open hearts in our city, in Springfield, in this church, maybe for those that have attended for many years, but yet have yet to experience the full freedom there is in Jesus. Lord, I pray that it would rain down your presence, your power, your love, and we would see the captive set free. And Lord, I thank you that we are a part of your work, your instruments in this world. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's give with joy this morning. Church, God bless you. Have a wonderful, blessed week. We will see you here next Sunday on Palm Sunday. God bless.